All right, everybody, before we start our episode, we have to make a minor correction from two weeks ago. Now, Mike, you weren't here two weeks ago, so Chico made a mispronunciation. Yeah, he made a little error in pronouncing the person who got the first stolen base in the World Series. I think uh, he said it, Kettle Mart, and uh, with all due respect, the guy's name is Kettle Marte. Kettle Marte. Kettle Marte. And if you were a card collector and you were lucky enough to get one of the five Taco Fractor cards of Kettle Marte, you got yourself $15,000 of Taco Bell. That's a lot of chalupas. That's a lot of shitting. Oh! Ow! Well, what does Taco Bell do to you? And That's what it does to me. So congratulations, you're getting your sewers bills worth of pooping. Poopy. I'm going to throw up now. Theme song. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 427, Submission 322. Doctor Who, The Trial of a Time Lord. Doctor Who, The Trial of a Time Lord, was a season-long arc for the 23rd season of Doctor Who on BBC One from the 6th of September to the 6th of December 1986, which totaled for 14 parts. And that's two episodes shy of the number of episodes of Uncle Croc's Block, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Ship, the number of aired episodes of Salvage One, School, Misfits of Science, Tiger King. I'm forgetting some others. Keep going, keep going. I don't remember the others. Okay. Schooled? I said schooled. Okay, then Little Bush? Okay, Little Bush. And J.J. Starbuck? Yes. And I think there's one more, but it's slipping my mind. Let me just go through my mental world addiction. Who? Misfits of Science. He said Misfits of Science. Okay. Okay, so Uncle Crack's Black. Husband Brothers has to so. J.J. Starbuck, schooled. Number of varied episodes of uh, of Salvage One. Little Bush. Tiger King. There's another one. Who cares? Who cares? Let's talk some Doctor Who, shall we? Okay. That's a great way to get around the copyright. I love it. You ask me, I think we pretty much nailed that one. 
Ron Grainer. I think we're not getting sued. Good job. So in the 1980s, Doctor Who was riding high. They had come off their 20th anniversary season in 1983. Of course, the five doctors, the big anniversary special. But of course, Peter Davison, the fifth doctor at the time, would be leaving the show in 1984. So in the next to last story of season 21, The Case of Andranzani, we see the fifth doctor regenerate into the sixth doctor, played by Colin Baker. And of course, we all remember that iconic line. It's simple, my dear. Change. And from the looks of it, not a moment too soon. So the sixth doctor gets one last story to close out the season in the twin drama. Not the best Doctor Who story, I believe. So season 22 goes well for Colin Baker's first season. It was reasonably successful. So they changed the length of the episodes in season 22 from 25-minute episodes to 45-minute episodes. However, opposite on Saturday nights on BBC One, Doctor Who drew some big competition from the States. Opposite on ITV, it was running against the A-Team. I don't care who you are. You are not beating Mr. T. And this season was drawing criticism from some critics about the, well, let's just say the, for 1980 standards, the content of some of the episodes might not be kind of like way too scary. Even though if you watch them now, it's like, why would you be even remotely scared about this? I don't know. However, even though Doctor Who was on its way to being a standard on British television going into the 1980s, the controller of BBC One, a man by the name of Michael Grade, was not a fan of the series. And in fact, he admitted in interviews that he, quote-unquote, hated the program and wanted it canceled. So... Doctor Who in 1985 was placed on hiatus. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, Michael Grade, yes, indeed related to Sir Lou Grade, who was controlling ITV a few years back. Doctor Who would be interrupted for an 18-month hiatus between seasons 22 and 23, compared to the usual nine-month gap between seasons. And so, season 23 would air in the autumn of 1986 and was complicated by various factors. Now, the episode length had reverted back from 45 minutes to 25 minutes. However, the number of episodes was reduced to 14, just over half the length of most previous seasons. And the series was still up against the A-Team on ITV. And having been off the air for 18 months, found it hard to regain those viewers that they had lost to the A-Team. So the executive producer of Doctor Who, John Nathan Turner, decided for this season to try to get the viewers back to the show. They decided to have an entire 
season-long arc for season 23 called The Trial of a Time Lord. This is basically the BBC going all in on a high concept for one of their storied franchises. Let me read the synopsis on Truth by Consensus Wikipedia here. In the serial, the Sixth Doctor is tried by the High Council of Time Lords for breaking several of the laws of Gallifrey, the Time Lord's home world, including interference with outside worlds and genocide. A mysterious character called the Valyard acts as prosecutor. In the first two chapters, the mysterious planet and mind warp, events from the Doctor's past and present are submitted as evidence of his guilt. The third chapter, Terror of the Vervoids, presents future events in the Doctor's defense. In the concluding chapter, The Ultimate Foe, the Doctor's trial is halted, and the Doctor confronts the Valyard and his old rival, the Master, in order to clear his name and to save the High Council. So let's talk about the main players of this particular serial, because if we were going to talk about the entire cast of Doctor Who, we'd be here for years. Obviously, the Sixth Doctor which means we are talking about Colin Baker. This is basically as big as his career gets, although he was Paul Maroney in the drama series The Brothers on the BBC. Not to be confused with Brothers on Showtime. That's a never cover, by the way. Playing his companion, Perry Brown, is Nicola Bryant, who, and by the way, I'm drawing this up from Wikipedia as well, was actually discovered on a stage production of No No Nanette, where she was affecting an American accent. And the person who spotted her was looking for an American to play Perry Brown. So this was basically the story of how Hugh Laurie got cast as Heps, basically. Because he did an American accent convincingly. Very convincingly. Oh, by the way, no, no, Nanette. Can't believe we referenced no, no, Nanette without referencing that that's the reason why Babe Ruth got sold to the Yankees in 1920. Because Harry Frizee, the owner of the Red Sox, wanted to finance his play. So he sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees for like a hundred grand. And now you know the rest of the story. And they are only cursed for another 86 years. As part of her contract, Nicola had to use that fake American in all public places, barring the local pop to the supermarket. This is true. Including BBC canteens and rehearsal rooms. She simply got on with it throughout her entire run on the show and later described it as, quote-unquote, The longest role she ever played. Yeah, I believe that. I'm wondering if she was in anything besides Doctor Who. And it turns out, oh yeah, she totally was. She was in Blackadder's Christmas Carol TV film there. Two episodes playing two different characters of My Family. And then something called Star Trek Continues. Oh, that's like that fan film production. And then we have as a character named Melody Bush. I believe that's the follow-up companion to Perry Brown. Yeah, in the middle of the run of this season. 
That would be Bonnie Langford, who was in an episode of Opportunity Knocks from 1970, two episodes of Surprise, Surprise in 1992 and 1997. But you're forgetting the least, Chico. She was in the movie Bugsy Malone. Who else was in that movie, Greg? Jodie Foster and Scott Mayo. You mean the Scott Mayo from Zapped? <laughs> Never forget, we actually fooled somebody with that Onion article. Someone? I thought we fooled multiple people. No, I thought we just fooled one person when we posted that on the site formerly known as Twitter. We did well. Yes. By the way, Bonnie Langford... Not related to fellow British actress Catherine Langford from 13 Reasons Why. And in recurring roles, we have as the Valiard, Michael Jason, and as the Master, Anthony Ainley. That's right. And you know what that means. We got to talk about the Doctor Who pinball game again, because this mug, Anthony Ainley, was on the freaking table on the Doctor Who pinball game. Yeah, but when you sank the ball into the master, whatever you want to call it, the the the, the trigger or whatnot, uh, the the lane that uh, sends the ball down to the uh, uh, to, to the, the base where you lose the ball, was that Anthony Ainley's image that popped up, or was that yeah. Roger Delgado? Oh, I thought that was Roger Delgado. No, all that this was time. Anthony Ainley. Yup. Oh, I thought that was Roger Delgado. Oh, no, wait. He's you might, that... Hold on. You might be right that it's Roger Delgado. I'm not. Well, here's the thing. They look the same. They look the damn same. Roger Delgado, Anthony Ainley, they both have like a must. It's not like today where you have like John Sim. Uh, who else played the master? Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts uh, is the guy that played it recently. Um, the guy from uh, Iron Fist. Oh, yeah. that Sasha, I forget his last name. Sasha Dewan. Sasha Dewan. And, oh, Missy. We can't forget Missy. Oh, uh, Michelle Gomez. Yes. Okay, I'm still saying it's Roger Delgado, but I can totally buy Anthony Ainley because, like you said, they've got the goatee. They look very similar. And I think even the doctor's ages are similar at that point. And then we have, as the Inquisitor, Linda Bellingham, who would go on to be one of the co-hosts of very popular talk show in the UK, Loose Women, from 2007 until her death in 2014. Loose Women? What the hell is that? It's like The View. Oh, but it's British. But it's British. So what do they talk about on the British version, I guess, of the view. Do they talk about like whatever, like what's his face, the UK Prime Minister is doing now, or whatever? From Wikipedia, Loose Women is a British talk show that broadcasts on ITV weekdays from twelve thirty to one thirty p.m. The show focuses on a panel of four female presenters who interview celebrities, talk about aspects of their lives, and discuss topical issues ranging from politics to current affairs to celebrity gossip and entertainment news. That sounds a lot like The View to me, at least The View over the last, let's say, like five to ten years. 
not the view when Barbara Walters was around because she wouldn't want any of that entertainment news gossip bullshit. Oh no, she had standards, damn it. And rounding out the cast as Sabalom Glitz is Tony Selby, who was an uncredited fifth hood in the Superman movies. Michael Jason and Linda Bellingham appeared throughout the entire serial, but Tony Selby only appeared in The Mysterious Planet and The Ultimate Foe, while Anthony Ainley's master returned in The Ultimate Foe. All right, so let me get on to this with The Mysterious Planet. Events of the serial are framed on an arching plot that carries through the other three serials of the 23rd season. In this, the Sixth Doctor is forced to land the TARDIS aboard a Gallifreyan space station where he is brought into a courtroom. The Inquisitor informs the Doctor he is on trial for conducting Unbecoming a Time Lord. Evidence will be presented by the Valyard. The first evidence is shown through video footage taken from the Matrix of the Doctor's recent involvement with the planet Ravalox, where the Valyard shows that the Doctor willingly became involved in the affairs of the planet. The Doctor denies these charges as the Valyard brings them. After showing the video, the Valyard affirms he has more evidence sufficient to call for the end of the Doctor's life. As shown by the court evidence, the Doctor and Perry land on Ravalox, both noting a similarity to Earth. The Doctor is aware that Ravalox was devastated by a fireball, according to official records, but the presence of flourishing plant life makes him suspicious. As they walk, they are observed by Salbalom, Glitz, and Dibber. Mercenaries on the planet attempting to destroy a quote-unquote black light generator in order to destroy the L3 robot deep underground that it powers. The Doctor and Perry find a tunnel and enter to find remains that appear to be that of the marble arch tube station of the London Underground Central Line. Piking the Doctor's curiosity further, the Doctor wishes to proceed deeper, but Perry is worried and stays behind. Perry is soon captured by a local human tribe led by Katricia and brought to their camp. Katricia informs Perry that she will need to take many husbands for the tribe and locks her away with Glitz and Dibber. The two were captured after approaching the tribe to try to convince them to let them destroy the generator, which the tribe has taken as a totem. The three managed to overpower the guards and escape, but not before planting a bomb on the black light generator. They are pursued by the tribe. The Doctor, in exploring the modern underground complex, is also captured by humans underwatched by the Immortal. He is brought before the Immortal, the L3 robot that Glitz is looking for. The robot calls itself Drothero and is following its instructions to maintain the habitat of the underground system. Drothero orders the Doctor to make necessary repairs, but the Doctor manages to temporarily electrify the robot and make his escape. Drothero sends a service robot after the Doctor. Perry, Glitz, and Dipper eventually meet up with the Doctor back at the ruins of Marble Orch, trapped between the tribe and the service robot. However, the tribesmen disable the service robot and recapture the group, including the Doctor. The Doctor tries to explain the nature of the tribe's totem, but Katrisa is unimpressed and places them in a cell again. While there, Glitz confirms that Ravalox is actually Earth. Drothero reactivates the service robot and sends it into the tribe's village to recapture the doctor, but the tribe is able to disable it again. Katrisa decides that they should attack Drothero's castle to steal its technology from themselves. 
The Doctor and Barry use the opportunity to escape and re-enter the underground complex, aware that the black light generator is now damaged beyond repair, and it should self-destruct. It could take the whole universe with it. Catrisa and the tribe are easily defeated by Drothro. When the Doctor arrives, he attempts to plead for Drothro to shut himself down in order to disable the black light system, but Drothro refuses. Glitz, Dibber, and Perry arrive after being detained by Drothro and Glitz, offers to take the robot aboard his ship which has a functioning black light system. Drothro agrees and departs with the mercenaries. The doctor finds the black light system is already beginning to self-destruct and reconfigures the system so that its explosion would be limited to the underground complex. The doctor, Perry, and the other humans living underground escape in time. The remains of the tribe offer to take those and those humans that were living underground, and the doctor and Perry say their goodbyes. Why would the Time Lords go to all this trouble to move Earth several million light years from its original position? I don't know. You got me. And now we get into the second serial, Mind Warp. Mind Warp is framed by the trial of the Sixth Doctor, prosecuted by the Valyard, accusing him of meddling in other species' affairs in a way unbecoming of a Time Lord. The Valyard provides evidence to the preceding Inquisitor via screen link to the Matrix showing the details of the Doctor's actions on the planet Thoros Beta. The bulk of the episode centers on recorded narrative. As shown by the video, the Doctor and Perry arrive on Thoros Beta. The Doctor's curiosity peaked on the availability of advanced weaponry by the warlords of Thordon as they explore a cave system. The Doctor discovers Sill, an arms dealer for the mentors that are supplying the weapons. Now, Syl is a character I should note that the Doctor and Perry encountered in a previous serial in Season 22. Syl is a mentor from Thoros Beta and the representative of the Galatron Mining Corporation on the planet Veros. He lied about the value of Zaton 7 to get the cheapest price for it and was also interested in buying and distributing recordings of the various tortures which passed for entertainment on Veros. But that was basically one of his many unethical business schemes during the 21st, 23rd, and 24th centuries. Exploring further, the Doctor and Perry find that scientist Crozier in Sill's employ is attempting to perfect the ability to transplant the brilliant mind of Kiv, Sill's superior, into another body to overcome Kiv's pending death. When discovered, the two make their escape with the warlord King Yor- Oh god, I'm gonna mispronounce this- Yorkanos. Yorkanos, okay. One of Crozier's test subjects. The Dr. Perry and... Yorkanos. And his men plan an attack on Syl, but the Doctor betrays them by abandoning them at the last minute and wardens the mentors, causing Perry and... Yorkanos. To flee in different directions. Perry happens across one of the mentor's servant women and with her help disguises herself to get close to the Doctor. The Doctor reveals Perry to the mentors and requests he be allowed to interrogate her alone. A request still allows. Away from the others, the Doctor tells Perry his betrayal was all a ploy to learn more of Sill's plan and has discovered that they will transplant Kiv's mind into his body if he does not cooperate. Crozier interrupts the interrogation, believing he can extract more information from Perry. But then, you're Kanos arrives, ready to kill the Doctor. Perry stops, Your Canos. and together they escape. Regrouping with 
your canos men as Kiv's body is dying, Crozier is forced to transplant his brain with the doctor's help into the body of one of the mentor's servants, keeping the mind alive but affected by the simple thoughts of the former consciousness. Yurkanos, Perry, and his men launch another attack, this time on a weapon stash, but are stunned and captured. Sill and Crozier decide to use Perry as a more suitable body for Kiv's brain, despite the doctor's objections. As the operation is being prepared, the doctor sneaks away and frees Yurkanos, urging him on Perry's safety. Perry is strapped down and gagged as the operation is prepared, and Crozier gives the order for her head to be shaven. The doctor attempts to return to save her, but is suddenly drawn hypnotically into the TARDIS, which appears in the hallway. It is later revealed that he traveled directly to his trial from that point, despite the doctor claiming that the Time Lord's interference has put Perry's life in danger. The Valyard rebuffs this, stating that the Doctor shouldn't have become involved in the first place, and Perry's life is the cost of his involvement. Events on Thoros Beta continue after the Doctor's removal, as it is shown that Yurkanos was placed in a time bubble by the Time Lords to hold his arrival back at the lab until after Kiv's mind was successfully transplanted into Perry. When Yurkanos is freed of the bubble, he is distraught at the results of the operation and fires wildly, killing Perry. The Valyard insists that the interference of the Time Lords was to prevent a greater disaster befalling the universe due to the mistakes in the Doctor's actions. The Doctor insists that the present trial appears to be serving as an ulterior motive and resolves to determine what it is as the trial continues. Now, Chico, playing King... Yurkanos? ...is Brian Blessed. Do you have any information on Brian Blessed? Have I ever. One of his most notable roles in science fiction lore was in Space 1999 and... Oh, this is going to be great. Prince Voltam in Flash Gordon and Boss Nass in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Oh, that's terrific. He played Boss Nass in The Phantom Menace. I also want to say, because... He's still working now. He was the narrator in the British version, I guess, reversion, the reversion of Unbeatable Bunzuke. What the hell is Unbeatable Bunzuke? Uh, do you remember Master of Champions uh, from a few summers ago with uh, Chris Larry on ABC? No. It's sort of like that. It's a Japanese game show. Rome Conda hosted it for G4. It was basically a bunch of people taking up challenges to land on the list of champions, the Banzuke. Its greatest legacy, it gave the world Ninja Warrior. Well, let's get into the third serial, Terror of the Vervoids. At the courtroom, the Doctor takes to the stand in his defense and uses the Matrix to show the Time Lords his tale of events of how he saved everyone on board the freighter Hyperion 3. On board the Hyperion 3, communication officer Edwards is attacked by an unseen creature. Before he dies, he sends a distress call to a nearby ship, the Tortoise. The Doctor and his new companion, Mel Bush, follow the message to the freighter, where they meet a trio of scientists... Professor Lasky and her colleagues Bruckner and Doland. 
The group is guarding a shipment of Demeter seeds and some large flower pods. While investigating, the doctor and Mel find a half-human, half-plant hybrid strapped to a table. What? What? A half-human, half-plant hybrid. So basically the hibiscus on the masked singer. That would be something on the masked singer, a half-human, half-plant. By the way, breaking news. This is CNN Breaking News. Countess Luanne Lesseps as unmasked as the hibiscus on the masked singer this week. Who? One of the real housewives. Oh. She's no uh, Kyle Richards or the one who yelled at Smudge. Kyle Richards was the one who yelled at Smudge. No, Kyle Richards was not the one who yelled at Smudge. She was holding the woman who yelled at Smudge back. That's Kim Richards. I think you're mixing them up. I think No, it was not. I know. I watched it today. You actually watched a Real Housewives something something? I watched the clip. And you're not going to believe this, Mike. You're not going to believe this. It turns out that Smudge was not in the video. This We thought that she was actually yelling at the cat. It was just the meme. No, you really thought she was yelling at the cat? No. I, I thought she was yelling at the cat all this time. So she's not yelling at a cat? No. She's yelling probably at another housewife because who knows? Maybe looked at her the wrong way or something or had better nails or who knows? The creature implores them to stop Lasky, but Lasky, Bruckner, and Dolan sedate her. Dolan tells the time travelers that the creature is his assistant, Ruth Baxter. During their experiments involving cross-fertilization, pollen penetrated a scratch in Ruth's thumb, causing the resulting plant mutating process to partially transform her human body. They are taking her to Earth in the hope that they can reverse the infection. It is revealed that the Edwards and others were killed by plant-like creatures called vervoids, the creatures that came out of the pods when Edwards was electrocuted. Bruckner goes to the bridge and forces Travers and the pilot to leave, then changes the course of the Hyperion to head into the Black Hall of Tartarus, planning to destroy the ship and kill the vervoids. The Doctor, Lasky, and Travers attempt to break into the bridge, but the vervoids have filled it with marsh gas. Bruckner is killed by the gas, but the ship is still heading into the black hole. Security officer Rudge summons two Morgarian crew members as they can breathe in the poisonous atmosphere. They direct the ship away from the black hole, but when it is safe, Rudge and the Morgarians hijack the ship. Rudge tells the doctor that the Morgarians are trying to regain the supply of metal stored in the vault. Rudge is taking the hijacking as a means of securing a more comfortable retirement. The Doctor of Mel, Travers, and Lasky meet to discuss the vervoids. The Doctor reveals that the vervoids hate animal kind and kill for survival. Lasky vows to help destroy the creatures. The Doctor has an idea that Vionesium, the rare metal taken from Morgur, stored in the ship's vault, would accelerate the vervoids' life cycle towards its natural end. Travers lowers the lighting and heating in the ship, forcing the vervoids back to their lair, where the Doctor and Mel are waiting. They deploy the metal against the vervoids, which causes the creature's leaf-covered bodies to die. Having saved the survivors, the Doctor and Mel depart in the tortoise. Back in the courtroom, upon viewing these events in the Matrix, the Valyard considers the Doctor's destruction of the vervoids as genocide, 
and pleads for the Time Wards to seek the death penalty against the Doctor. Uh oh. Uh oh. In stereo, beautiful. Yo, you should also do. You should also have like Susan and like Patty Duke together in stereo, and and then maybe have Teresa Merritt comment on that little mistake. Uh oh. Uh oh. No, Teresa Merritt, you get the introduction of a new uh oh sound. It's Alf. He's back in pog form. Big name playing Doctor Lasky in that episode. Honor Blackman. Oh, yes! Pussy galore! Who could ever forget James Bond's response? Oh, I must be dreaming! <laughs> but also, she was on the original Avengers. As Catherine Gale. I believe she was on before um, Emma Peel and Diana Rigg. Yes! Now we're going into the grand conclusion of this. The ultimate foe. The Sixth Doctor boldly claims the Valyard's evidence has been falsified and the Matrix has been tampered with. The Keeper of the Matrix insists this is impossible. Glitz and Mel arrive unexpectedly in the courtroom. The Master appears on the Matrix screen to claim responsibility and demonstrate it's possible to breach the Matrix. At the Master's insistence, Glitz reveals the data he tried to obtain on Ravelox included technological secrets from the Matrix, which was stolen by the Sleepers. The Time Wards traced the Sleepers to their base on Earth and dragged the planet across space to the location in which the Doctor found it, nearly annihilating all life on the planet in the process. The Master explains the Valyard is a manifestation of the Doctor's darker side somewhere between the Doctor's 12th and final incarnation, which... Knowing modern Doctor Who could mean somewhere between Peter Cabaldi and Jodie Whittaker. I know, but considering he got like another set of lives, it could mean like anything. No, no. Because remember, it was thrown off by the War Doctor in John Hurt. So it was somewhere between Matt Smith and Peter Cabaldi. Oh, who knows? I don't know anything. The continuity makes no sense. The continuity is what the writers needed to be at the time. The High Council offered the Valyard the Doctor's remaining regenerations in exchange for falsifying evidence. When the Doctor demands to halt the trial as he cannot be both the defendant and prosecutor, the Valyard flees into the Matrix, a virtual reality where normal logic does not apply. So it's somewhere in the metaverse? Sure, why not? The Doctor pursues with Glitz, emerging next to a building labeled The Fantasy Factory, proprietor J.J. Chambers. A clerk named Mr. Popplewick sends them to a deserted wasteland. To the Doctor's horror, hands emerge from the ground and grab him, dragging him underground. Glitz is unable to rescue him, but the Doctor rises from the ground unharmed, insisting correctly that nothing that happens in the Matrix is real. The Valyard appears and taunts the Doctor before unleashing nerve gas, forcing the Doctor and Glitz to take refuge in a rundown cottage. As they stumble inside, it dematerializes into the Master's tortoise. The Master reveals that he wishes the Doctor to prevail over the Valyard, since he fears the Valyard's ability to defeat him. He puts the Doctor into a canatonic state and sends him out of his tortoise to lure the Valyard out of hiding. The Valyard emerges onto a balcony, but fires upon the Master, forcing him to flee. 
Mel emerges from a tunnel and the doctor recognizing her voice emerges from his trance. She leads him out of the matrix and into the trial room. They agree that she should tell the truth and she confirms to the court that the scenes of the Vervoid's destruction, the basis of the Valyard's charge of genocide, are as she witnessed them. The Inquisitor finds the doctor guilty and declares that his life is forfeit. He accepts the verdict as the fulfillment of justice and is led off to execution. However, this is another illusion. Mel is frantic that the doctor needs help, grabbing the keeper's key and entering the Matrix. She finds the doctor and warns him, but he had already realized the courtroom was a fake and merely wished to reach a final confrontation with the Valyard. Bribed by the Master, Glitz returns to the Fantasy Factory, and he finds the Master tape of the data he thought was destroyed on Ravelots. Glitz escapes with the data to the Master's TARDIS, while the Doctor asks Popplewick for chambers. Popplewick doesn't comply. The Doctor and Mel lay hold of him, and the Doctor peels away his face to reveal Popplewick as a disguised Valier. They realize that a concealed machine in the room is a particle disseminator, with which the Valyard plans to murder the members of the court. The Inquisitor learns that the High Council has been deposed. The Master appears on the Matrix screen to offer to impose order in return for power. He loads Glitz's Master tape into his tortoise systems, but a booby trap is triggered, paralyzing him and Glitz. Mel emerges from the Matrix to warn the Time Lords. They cannot turn off the Matrix screen, but the Doctor sabotages the Valyard's weapon and the Fantasy Factory explodes. He flees the Matrix back to the courtroom. The Inquisitor drops the charges against him and reveals that Perry survived the events on Thoros Beta and became... Draconos. Queen. She urges the Doctor to stand for Lord President of the New Council, but he suggests she should stand. He urges the Time Lords to be lenient towards Glitz while he returns Mel back to her proper time. As the Inquisitor leaves the trial room, she gives instructions to the Keeper of the Matrix. As he looks up at the camera, he is revealed to be the Valyard. Dun dun dun! <laughs> and because Greg did not say it in the taping, I am just gonna bring this moment between the Doctor and Mel up. Calibre Bray doesn't have any crown jewels. Right, a racing glass of carrot juice. Carrot juice? And then we'll get you back on the exerciser. You know, I think I was rash in turning down that offer of the presidency. Okay, but there's some weird stuff I got to share about the uh, production of this on Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. So, Doctor Who writer Robert Holmes was originally commissioned to write the final two episodes of the story. However, he died from a chronic liver ailment after completing a draft of the first episode and left nothing beyond a plot outline for the second episode. So Eric Saward, the series script editor, resigned around this time due to disagreements with producer John Nathan Turner, but he agreed to write the final episode based on Holmes' outline and rewrote Holmes' draft to tie the two episodes together for which he was credited as script editor. Much of the original draft written by Holmes, involving, as it did, a reenactment of one of the Whitechapel murders, described to Jack the Ripper, was felt to be unsuitable, and most of the material set in the Matrix in this episode credited to Holmes is, in fact, Salward's work. 
The original ending to the segment as a whole, and indeed the whole trial story and possibly the series, would have seen the Doctor and the Valyard in an inconclusive cliffhanger, both plunging into a void to their deaths as an extra hook. However, Nathan Turner felt it was too damn beat and believed that it was important that the season did not end on an inconclusive note to demonstrate the series was back in business and avoid providing an excuse to BBC management to cancel the series altogether. Saward refused to change the ending and withdrew permission to use his script very late in the day, by which point the production team had been assembled and the segment was entering rehearsals. John Nathan Turner would commission Pip and Jan Baker to write a replacement final episode. For copyright reasons, they could not be told anything of the content of Saward's script, and there were lawyers observing all the commissioning meetings. The only similarity between the two is the announcement that the High Council of the Time Lords resigned, which was a natural development of the scripts. The new script ended on an optimistic note with the Doctor departing for new adventures in keeping with this more optimistic stance. Nathan Turner decided to amend the script at the last minute to show Perry had not died as shown in Mind Warp, but had in fact survived and became... Dracanos? Warrior Queen. Her apparent death was part of the values tampering with the Matrix. A shot from the earlier story was used to show this. Nicola Bryant was absolutely disappointed to learn how the fate of her character had been changed. The working title of this story was Time Incorporated, and this title did not appear in the final scripts or on screen. Although the other episodes of this season were the usual 25 minutes in length, it proved impossible to edit the final episode down to that length. So John Nathan Turner applied for and received special permission for the episode to run five minutes over its scheduled time slot, making it a 30-minute episode. What a mess. And by this time, it seems like the production of Doctor Who as a whole was in complete and utter disarray because of various reasons, including the death of Robert Holmes. Everybody disagreed with John Nathan Turner. And then the whole thing with uh, the show being on hold for a year and a half. So what else happened? Because we know this isn't the end of classic Doctor Who. Because 1987 would bring Time and the Ronnie and, of course, Sylvester McCoy wearing a stupid-looking blonde wig. Yeah, after the BBC fired Colin Baker. And they freaking, uh... That was the stupidest freaking scene ever. But yeah, Doctor Who, it lasted for another three seasons with Sylvester McCoy. Until the series... Well, the series was not officially cancelled. It was just like the BBC was like, well, we'll just wait until we commission a new season, which went into like 90 and 91, 90. You get the picture, right? Yeah. Until the TV movie, which we previously covered in 96. So Doctor Who was never in the 60 years that it existed officially canceled. They just decided in 2005, you know what we should do? We should produce Doctor Who again. With Blackjack and hookers. And they got Russell T. Davies to executive produce the series in 2005. And Chris Eccleston to play the Doctor. They almost went with Eddie Izzard, believe it or not. Really? I read something about that. You know what? I got to be honest. They made the good call there, Chris Eccleston. And then a year later, David Tennant joined the show. And, well, 
it's still going today. But in 1986, Doctor Who, The Trial of a Time Lord, oh boy, it was a mess. But it made for one really weird season of Doctor Who, and it ultimately became a thing on TV and a thing on PBS. If you want to relive The Trial of a Time Lord, they rerun it, I believe, on the classic Doctor Who channel on Pluto TV, or you could watch it on demand. And if you are in the UK and have access to iPlayer, I believe that's going to be part of the Hooniverse coming up. Oh yeah, the new Hooniverse app. I can confirm I have seen Talon Baker episodes on the classic Doctor Who channel on Pluto TV. That's right, because they do have the classic Doctor Who channel. And is any of those on demand, the classic Doctor Who channel? It runs often enough, though. Uh, if it's not on demand, I've seen it, uh, I think, uh, once or twice, and I'm a, just a casual watcher. I don't watch it uh, all that often. But I've seen uh, Colin Baker, his doctor, pass away and get regenerated into Sylvester McCoy. So they have shown that season. And that is terrible, right? That seed. You know, honestly, I think all of Colin Baker and Doctor Who is terrible. I know you don't listen to Big Finish, but his Doctor Who Big Finish stuff is very good in the audio. I'm going to be fair. Okay, I think I've declared that my favorite Doctor is Tom Baker, and I think that's sort of... Oh, that's obvious. Everyone... Yeah, I mean that's where I think a lot of us got exposure on PBS back in the day, seeing Tom Baker, and and I was absolutely floored. When was it? It couldn't have been like eight years ago, seven years ago, when he appeared in that museum scene after, uh, who, which doctor man, was it? Man, it was the 50th doctor? anniversary special. Oh, the 50th? Oh, that was 10 years ago? Oh my yeah, gosh. it's 10 years ago already. Dang. But yeah, that final like scene in the museum and he shows up, it's like, no, they didn't just get Tom Baker to show up. That is so damn cool. I saw that in the theater because they had a special Fathom event for it. And I got to say, the two biggest pops in the theater was that scene of Peter Cabaldi's eyes. You remember that scene, Chico? Yep, I do remember that scene. They have 12 TARDISes. No, 13. <laughs> But not only that, but when Tom Baker appeared, everyone went like insane for that. I could picture that. I know I went absolutely crazy when that happened. And I was watching it on the, um, I believe it was the afternoon where they were basically offering it up as an all-worlds premiere where everyone was watching it in the world at the same time. And I believe that set a... Guinness World Record for the most popular telecast on television where everyone in the world was watching Doctor Who at the same time. Even me as a casual flipped out. That's how big it was. Well, you know what? Russell T. Davies decided, you know what? For the 60th anniversary, you know what I'm going to get to top that? NPH. David Tennant and Neil Patrick Harris. Come on, Disney Plus. Get with it already. Now that Doctor Who is going to be on Disney Plus in America, 
I guarantee you we're going to have like all the Doctor Who stuff that we could ever imagine. You know what? Russell T. Davies just surprised me with whatever you have planned. Give us what you got. We're ready for it. Well, on that note, you can always go into our tortoise or Ed Bigley's tortoise that runs on vegetable oil like we always talk about that Chico borrowed to communicate with his past self last week and listen to the 426 previous episodes that it was a thing on TV.com where we've got all sorts of great bonuses, including minisodes, live versions, extended versions of previous episodes, the works. And remember, we are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon at It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed, either Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, etc. And don't forget we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. Well, we're going to talk even more Doctor Who history in the next episode because we're going to teach you a history lesson on why it's important to save your material and make sure it doesn't get lost like in a cave in Africa somewhere. Or on the shelf next to several episodes of the New Liars Club. Or, in one case, somewhere in a Mormon church. All three of these things have happened, by the way. Except maybe not the New Liars Club. It was on a shelf at CKVU where the New Liars Club was taped. Okay, so maybe it was next to an episode of the new Liars Club with maybe Shannon Tweet or whatever. Could you imagine, like, oh, I'm sorting out the episodes of the new Liars Club. Oh, wait, what's this 1960s film can of Doctor Who doing here? But you'll find out more about that in the next episode of It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you ever so much for listening. For myself, for Mike, for Chico, I'm Greg, and we'll see you for the next one. Wow! I'm sick of it. I watched my friend for a year and a half going through so much. Be her friend. You be each other. I friend. have been her friend. I, I, have, I have never heard her. her. No, I, I have never heard her. Heard her. Take her phone I call. Have never Here's where we need to put a picture of Benoodles eating broccoli. Greg, repeat after me. Your Kanos. Your Kanos. Your Kanos. Your Kanos. Not my Kanos. Your Kanos. Your Kanos. Say it again now. Your Kanos. So, do you really need Chico to say your Kanos throughout the entirety of the episode? Oh, you'll just edit that in. No, no. I, I wanted to give you a. 
a vocal lesson here. I wanted oh, okay. to hear you actually say your Kanos, and uh, I'm glad you did. Now okay. say Demeter. Demeter. Dang. 